energy. We walked around for 35 minutes just in the parking lot looking for this car. The passion. UVM schedules the way they do to get as high a seed as possible in the NCAA tournament and to get as much tournament prep as they can because they're not going to get it from their league. The opinions on all your favorite teams. The organization should be taking care of Matt rather than Matt taking care of the organization. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show right here on a Wednesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Full show tonight, all 90 minutes, then up to Game 4 of the World Series. The Phillies have a 2-1 series lead on the Astros, looking to get within one win of their first title in more than a decade. So when's the last time the Phillies, Phillies beat the Rays last time in the World Series? Is that right? Yeah, but 2008 or so? Yeah, so definitely more than a decade. They lost to the Yankees in 09 to go back and find out exactly when the Phillies' last title was. I think it was 07 or 08. No, well, 07 was the Red Sox. So, yeah, did the Phillies get their back-to-back years? I'm trying to think here. Um, yeah, the Phillies won it in 2008. Yeah, there you go. They've won two World Series championships, 1980 and 2008. So there you go. Right up, No research needed here on the Brady Farkas Show. 2008, Phillies over the Rays. Um we got a lot to get to before we get to the game, though. Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio is going to join us in 15 minutes. Some stuff from Tom Karen on both the Red Sox and the Bruins. Great win last night for the Bees. UVM basketball today going up against Middlebury College in the final exhibition tune-up of the year. Some stuff on the Patriots as well. You can get in on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line. That's 802-585-3026. Your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Again, that's 802 585 3026. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Six and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sixandstuff.com. I want to get to the Celtics a little bit before we talk to Freddie Coleman. I got to tell you, I am playing hurt today. And I know nobody cares about my problems, but this is a relatable problem. I am playing hurt today. I sprained my ankle something terrible last night. I am in some real pain today. You all know I'm playing in this men's league basketball, uh, this men's hoops league in Essex, right? And we play once a week. And yesterday was the start of the playoffs. So right after I got off the air, I booked it to Essex, got to the game. Second half starts. I I rolled my ankle just absolutely terribly. Absolutely terribly. So Mike Triboli, the old UVM star, is on my team with me. He didn't do anything wrong, but he's got the ball. I'm behind him. We're breaking out in transition. He stops like he wants to stop and pop, and basically I kept going and kind of ran into him and then twisted my ankle the classic way we all twist our ankles. Everybody's twisted their ankle before. If you ever played basketball or tennis or anything athletic, you've rolled your ankle before. So this is not the first time I've rolled my ankle. This is probably not the worst time I've rolled my ankle. But damn, there is like, for so common and pedestrian an injury as a rolled ankle is, it is absolutely crippling while you're going through it. I mean, our next game is next Thursday. I think I'll be able to play in that. But right now, today, I can barely walk. 
And, of course, bless the people at WDEV. I love that this station's been around for 90 years. But there's like a zillion stairs to get from the first floor to the second floor. When you have a sprained ankle, I promise you, the last thing you want to do is be navigating the stairs in this building. And there's stairs everywhere. You walk in. You got to walk down. You, you. I want to put my lunch in the refrigerator, right? Walk in. There's too many stairs. Even that was tough. Then I got to go back up the stairs. Then there's three little wraparound staircases, and I'm playing hop along Farkas in order to get here. Oh, then you want to uh to to get to the bathroom. You got some stairs to come back from the bathroom. You want to go get lunch. You got to go walk down the stupid stairs again. Then you got to come back up. I've got an ice pack that's got to go in the freezer. The freezer's downstairs too. So I've been up and down these stairs like seven times today. I don't even want to go down them once. Nevertheless, go down and then come back up seven times. I mean, everybody's rolled an ankle. Again, it's a very common and pedestrian injury. It should not be this crippling. I mean, my foot right now, my ankle is like the size of a tennis ball. And now I have a normal sock on. Now my sock, like my ankle is so swollen that my sock, a normal sock, not a tight sock, it is now becoming a tight sock and like the circulation is being cut off. I just looked at my ankle and where the sock band is, the elastic, is now like, it's like being cinched. I mean, this is where we're at right now. I'm playing hurt today. It, it's, you know, my ability to press buttons is good, but my ability to walk from one studio to the other, not as good today. I mean, jammed fingers is another injury you get playing, you know, playing adult league sports. That one's pretty annoying. This is worse than that. I mean, my goodness. Bill and Cabot on the text line wants to know uh, if I finished the game yesterday. Uh, well, I, I kind of. Um, What's well, it if I played through it? Second half is when this happened, like 27 minutes left. In the in the game probably, and once it happened, I, I came off immediately. Probably sat for the next ten to twelve minutes, tried to walk around, couldn't jog anything. Came back on for about six minutes after that, and really just kind of stood there because I needed to give somebody else a break. I pretty much just stood there, guarded the worst player on the other team, the guys who were way shorter than me, way older than me, and didn't shoot much, and just kind of kind of tried to be a roadblock. Uh, couldn't jump, only took one shot, missed it, came back out, then sat for another four or five minutes, came back in with two and a half to play, and on one foot hit a couple of free throws to help ice the game. That, that was my contribution yesterday, was hitting a couple of one-footed free throws. We did win the game. We will go on to the league semifinals. Hopefully I can play. I imagine that I will be able to. But uh, that's where we're at. Text lines, uh, Joe in Essex says, stop whining. No, I won't, Joe. People, it's called personality-driven radio. That's what it's called. And people like it. Okay? I got stats and figures out the wazoo for this game. We're about to get to that. But if I want to whine for three minutes about my ankle, then I'm going to whine for three minutes about my ankle. Virginia wants to know what I packed for lunch. Uh, oh, well, now the tech, now Joe says, just kidding. Okay, well, I still, personality-driven radio. Uh, what did I pack for lunch? Uh, homemade chicken soup, a turkey sandwich, and uh, some like combos. Delicious. I didn't pack it. Just made it for me. I was too, I was too hobbled to limp 
limp around the uh, kitchen this morning. So uh, she did me a solid. So much appreciated. Uh, all right, 802-585-3026. Freddie Coleman is going to come up in a couple of minutes. I want to get into more. I want to put more on the conversation about Ime Udoka. We talked a lot about this yesterday. It is not official yet. The Nets have not officially hired Ime Udoka, but it still feels like a thing that's very much going to happen. And yesterday I was frustrated at the Celtics for their impending allowing it to happen. And we're now starting to get some answers as to why maybe they're just willing to let Ime Udoka go and coach one of their biggest rivals, right? I had said I want the Celtics to keep Ime Odoka on ice and away from Brooklyn. I wondered why they're going to let him coach there. Chris Mannix of uh, NBC Sports Boston with more. Anything else? But I've always believed the Celtics kind of just wanted this to be over, right? Like, they didn't hire Joe Mazzulla to be a stopgap coach for one year. They're hoping and have been hoping that Joe Mazzulla distinguishes himself enough to be the next long-term head coach of this team. They didn't make overtures to Jay Laranega, Brad Stevens' former assistant, to leave the Clippers and come in for one year. They were going to bring him in to be a fixture on the staff of Joe Mazzulla. So Ime Odoka was never coming back as the head coach uh, in Boston. And I really do believe that at some point over the next couple of months, if this Brooklyn situation had not arisen, that we would have seen some kind of separation agreement between the Celtics and Ime Odoka that would have settled the contractual issues that, that remain. So Mannix says the Celtics just want to be done with Odoka. And that's why they're willing to let him go coach one of their biggest rivals. And I got to tell you, I'm still not satisfied. I'm still not satisfied, and I'm still not happy. I get it. It would be easier to just let Ime Odoka go away. You put all the onus on the Nets. You make him their problem. It would be easier. You'd be absolved of any potential legal issues. I get all that. Yes, easier it would be. But you know what? Professional sports isn't easy. Professional sports is hard. And it's a business. And you sometimes have to do what is best for your business. And what is best for your business and your brand is trying to get the Boston Celtics the easiest path back to the NBA Finals. And putting a really good coach in your way is not that. So today, I am still bothered. Sometimes I'll be hot on something, and 24 hours later, I'll rethink it and, and say, okay, I got a different angle or a different clarity, or I heard this. Not today. This is not one of those days. I'm still unhappy. I mean, look, how many times... Do players, how many times are players forced to stick out a situation they don't want to be in? The team doesn't want to move a guy. Why? They don't want him to come back and beat him. The team doesn't want to release a guy. The team doesn't want to give a guy a new contract. The team doesn't want to do that. Players all the time just have to sit there and take it and aren't allowed to start anew. I don't want Ime Odoka to be allowed to immediately start anew. All the time, players aren't given the chance to just up and go somewhere new. Ime Odoka, to me, doesn't need to be given that chance either. I remember when Le'Veon Bell wanted a new contract for the Steelers. He held out. He wanted a trade. Steelers said, good, sit out the entire season. He was forced to stick it out. Cam Akers of the Rams, he wanted a trade. Rams told him to stay home for a couple of weeks. They didn't trade him. Now they're trying to get it back with him. Brandon Cooks is all PO'd. He didn't get traded yesterday from the Houston Texans. Players have to grin and bear it all the time. 
Ime Odoka should have to grin and bear it too. Players who don't even do anything wrong aren't given a chance to go somewhere new. Ime Odoka did do something wrong. The Celtics should have kept Ime Odoka on ice. It's that simple. I'm not talking about doing anything illegal. Ime Udoka is con- under contract. Ime Udoka is being paid by the Celtics. His contract is being honored. They are not doing anything wrong if they keep him on ice. They should just let him enter the coaching market next offseason. Again, when Kyrie is was gone and Durant is a year older. I saw somebody tell me on Twitter, oh, you don't want to see Ime Udoka succeed. I, I don't care if Ime Udoka succeeds. Ime Udoka was my guy, and he screwed my organization, and he hurt people within my organization, allegedly. I don't care if he succeeds right away. I care if I succeed. I care about the women in my organization feeling comfortable at work. That's number one. And I care about my team's ability to win an NBA championship. And putting Ime Udoka in the way of that is not a good decision. I mean, think about it. If the Celtics traded... A bunch of really good players to Brooklyn. Would you be okay with it? Well, that's weird. Why would you trade your best? Why would you trade really good players to the rivals? And don't you want to beat them? And what would happen if you saw them in the playoffs? It's the same thing here. Okay, it's a lesser scale, but it's the same thing here. I don't want Ime Udoka coaching my rival. That simple. And I promise you, if the Nets beat the Celtics in the playoffs, you're going to be coming back to me, Brady, and saying, "Hey, Brady, remember what you said on November 1st and November 2nd?" Yeah, you were right. And look, if Ime Udoka goes to Brooklyn and they bomb, then great. You took a huge risk, and it, and you got lucky. But if he goes to Brooklyn and gets this team coalescing perfectly by the playoffs, then you're going to be sitting here saying, why the hell did we do that? Why the hell did we do that? I, I just, they should have kept him on ice, and 24 hours later, I don't feel any differently. Yes, you want to get rid of him. You don't want the trouble. Fine. Do you really want to be beaten by him? Do you really want your players seeing you get beat by him and wondering, why did we do that? Why why did we empower the enemy? It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Texter says, Brady, this is the oldest you've ever been and rolled your ankle. Do you have a cryo cuff? That's a game changer. I've never even heard of a cryo cuff. I have a portable stim machine. I was using that on my ankle last night. I have a giant ice pack, and I've also uh, got an ankle brace, which I'll probably be wearing the minute I get home because I didn't think about doing that when I came to work today. That That's really it. You don't realize just how much a, a sprained ankle takes you out of daily life. I couldn't walk my dog this morning. I could I, I hobbled to the car just to get here, and then the stairs. I mean, my God, so I, can we get an elevator in this place? Actually, I think we have an elevator elevator that hasn't been used since like 1974 at best. So, don't worry, I'm pretty handy. I'll fix the elevator, and so that way, when people with ankle problems come in, they can get up to the second floor. All right, let's. Uh, we got Freddie Coleman here calling in here in a second. So yeah, I see the line. Lighting up. Freddie Coleman, ESPN radio host, is with us every single Wednesday. Sometimes it's online, sometimes it's live. Today, Freddie is with us live, and uh, let's play the Freddie music, people. One of the nicest guys in sports talk radio. 
and one of the smartest. Mac Jones went out there and he looked the part. Had command of the huddle, had command of his teammates. That is something that everybody thought they would see. No one thought they would see it this early. It's time for our weekly conversation with ESPN's Freddie Coleman on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, now I do want to welcome in Freddie Coleman, ESPN radio host, Freddie and Fitzsimmons. And uh, tonight we've got the World Series, remember, coming up at 7 o'clock. Freddie with us now. Freddie, thanks for being with us. How are you? I'm good, Brady. How's everything with you, my man? Uh, Things have been better for me. Uh, I finally have something in common with Mac Jones. We are on ankle watch. Uh, Last Uh night, quarterfinals, league playoffs, badly sprained ankle, swollen, purple, red, Next game is the semis next Thursday. I got eight days to to get ready. I'm hoping to make it back. Well, put it this way: whatever treatment you got to use to make sure that you're not a compromised player, so you go out there and knock down those shots. But if you're going to be a compromised player, don't worry about losing your spot. Just make sure you get healthy and go from everything else as far as that goes. Well, I uh, I sat most of the second half yesterday. I had to get somebody a blow, so I had to uh, kind of hobble around for a few minutes in the second half. I had to guard the guy who was like 52 years old, took two shots all game, and was like nine inches shorter than me because he's the only guy I could even potentially stay in front of. I only took one shot in the second half, but I did hit four free throws down the stretch to help ice it on one leg. So how about that? You have to ice your ankle after icing the game. Talk about making sure <laughs> things can work for you and your team when you're a hobble oh. player. So good on you and keep that up, my friend. Well, like Mac Jones, we're on uh, we're on ankle watch. So let's get to the big <laughs> let's get to the big story of the day. And it's not official as we talk right now, but Ime Udoka likely going to the Nets. And I just keep coming back to the same thought: the Celtics don't have to let him do this. He's under contract. Mm-hmm. They are paying him. They do not have to let him do this. He is a good coach. Why not just keep him on ice and keep him away from your rivals? Because they want this situation to get as far away from the organization, Brady, as possible. Because you notice with all the reports coming out there, the Celtics don't want any kind of compensation. They don't want draft picks. They don't want coaches. They don't want money. They don't even want Christmas presents. They don't want anything. They just want Emi Adoka for what he was able to be a part of and compromising this organization. They just want him out of this organization. They don't want to have any more ties to him. And if that means he goes to a contender and somebody that could keep them from getting the NBA Finals, they're willing to make that choice. But other than that, they could completely care less that he goes to the Brooklyn Nets because that's how much they are done with him being a part of the Celtics staff. What does it say about the Nets that they'd be willing to hire him? That they're a desperate organization. And, Brady, you and I talked about that desperate organizations and desperate teams will do things in a quick-fix kind of matter. They did the same thing moving on from Kenny Atkinson, bringing in Steve Nash to be more of a player's coach. Then Steve Nash had enough of that, and they mutually decided to go away from each other. And now you want somebody that you got rid of. That's that kind of personality that's going to hold people accountable. But that's not what Kyrie Irving, that's not what Kevin Durant wanted. They were the ones that were calling the shots at that standpoint because how many times have you heard Kyrie Irving say, we don't need a coach? Well, Kevin Durant may not need one, but Lord knows you need one to keep your behind in line. So that's what organizations that are desperate, that want to matter, they're going to do these kind of things. 
And that's not to say it's not going to work because Emil Doka, let it be known, I'm not putting with any foolishness, and we know that he is not going to suffer fools gladly on the basketball court. But it says everything about the Brooklyn Nets, the more they try to be successful and be relevant, they do these desperate quick fix measures hoping that things are going to turn out, even though that can be the definition of insanity depending on who you are and what you're doing. You know, the, the, the Celtics players, it's out there and documented that they were in the dark. They don't know exactly what happened with Emil Doka, and they likely still don't. How do you think they're feeling in that locker room? Do you think they're kind of scratching their head at all, wondering, like, okay, he can't work here because it was so bad, but he can get hired there. Did we cut ties with him too early? It just feels like there's the potential for some locker room head scratching, which I don't want either. Well, there's no doubt about that, Brady. That's a fair point. But the one thing that could be in the Celtics' favor is that the season has already gotten started. If this was going on before the season got started, if it happened in the summer, then yeah. You have to worry about that head scratching and that whole cloud that could be hanging over your team going into training camp, training camp excuse me, trying to make sure that you overcome that. The fact that the season's already gotten started, guys are in a routine right now. So whatever happens outside the basketball team, even if somebody that used to be a part of what they do, they're probably thinking, you know what, we got Joe Mazzula here. We're going to make this work. We're going to do everything we can to make sure we get past it. So the fact that they're already having the season has, that's already gotten started may not be as much of a head-scratching that's going to stay with them in that locker room for more than a minute. That would have been the case, in my opinion, had this happened before any basketball games of consequence were going to be played or had already been played. Freddie Coleman, ESPN radio host, Freddie and Fitzsimmons. Tonight we've got the World Series on WDEV with our coverage beginning at 7. First pitch is just after 8. You know, let's move to the, let's move to football. You see the Dolphins loading up around their young quarterback in Tua. The Chargers loaded up around Justin Herbert. The Eagles loaded up around Jalen Hurts. Should we be frustrated that the Patriots aren't doing the same for their quarterback and they appear to be increasingly just kind of average? Well, you can be frustrated, but you shouldn't be surprised because Bill Belichick is not going to do that. He did that one time in his NFL career where he brought in a guy called Randy Moss, and they set NFL records all over the place offensively. But what happened? As my wife wears the shirt, 18 Patriot wins and one giant loss, and then it didn't end well for the New England Patriots having that kind of superstar wide receiver. Bill Belichick, and this is just me spitballing here, he may say to himself, I got burned by that once. We didn't win a championship. I'm not going to go through that again. But more than ever before, Brady, in modern football, there are two things that you're going to need. You're going to need a quarterback that can be a dude. And if you have a quarterback that can be a dude, you can better get him weapons if you believe that guy's the case. We've seen what's happened with Philadelphia, what they've done for Jalen Hurts. They believed he was a dude. They went on and got him people. Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City's always going to get that guy. So the kind of personnel he's going to need. The Buffalo Bills, look what they did. They get a Stephon Diggs. They get a Gabe Davis. They bring a Naeem Hines from the Indianapolis Colts. The San Francisco 49ers, they may not believe Jimmy Garoppolo is a dude, but they draft, but they trade for Christian McCaffrey. The Patriots always going to believe that the Patriot way is going to work. And that can work when you have number 12 there, Tom Brady. But more than ever before, Bill Belichick believes his way is going to be the best way. No one should be surprised they didn't go out the top flight wide receiver or will draft the wide receiver because that is not something that he wants to do. You know, Patriots beat your Jets on Sunday in a battle of very, very uh, pedestrian quarterback play to downright mm-hmm. bad quarterback play at times. Do you think the Patriots trust Mac Jones? Because their play calling the other day seemed to really paint the picture that they don't. I mean, after the pick six that wasn't was uh, was called back for the penalty, they just ran it four times and were content to kick a field goal while starting that drive at the 12-yard line. It showed to me like they don't really trust Mac to do anything now. I'm with you on that one because then why did you draft the guy? If you're going to have the guy that fell to you in the first round, you could have just been a pedestrian team and maybe kept Bailey Zappi as your quarterback. So I don't know what's going on there 
with why they don't believe in a guy that it seemed like they were believing in him and they talked all the platitudes in the offseason about what kind of step he's going to make. And I know the injury set him back. I clearly understand that. But I'm with you because I'm watching that game on Sunday, Brady. I'm looking at the play calling. I'm thinking, all right, you finally got Mac Jones back in. He's had a full week of practice. He seems to be moving around a lot better on that ankle. Why not open up the offense? Maybe they don't want to. And we know how stubborn the Patriots can be. They believe, and I said a couple of minutes ago, that their way is the best way. I wonder how much they're trying to prove that in all-around football, throwing the ball over the place and having these wide-open offenses, that you can win just by being a dink and dunk team. You can do that, but if you if defense is figured out, and the Jets' defense didn't play badly, they didn't allow the Patriots to dink and dunk them down the field and having those kind of drives consistently. You've got to be able to have a chance to make those shot plays and get those chunk plays. If you're unwilling to do that, you can get away with that in the regular season against the New York Jets who don't have a quarterback that can make you pay. But if you're going to face a team that can do that quarterback on the other side, then it's going to be a very, very short playoff run if the Patriots ever get there out of the AFC East. Yeah, Freddie, I'm very, very pumped. I'm going to be in Foxborough on Sunday for Patriots and Colts, so I'm looking forward to that, seeing if the Pats can get uh, over 500 as they sit now at 4-4. Four and four. I'm also excited because tonight is the final exhibition game for UVM men's basketball. They're taking on Division Three Middlebury College out of Vermont. Very good, very good Division Three program. I can't believe it's almost that time again. we got UVM hoops for real on Monday. Yeah, I know. College basketball is no longer right around the corner. It's knocking on our door, and I can't wait to see in that conference because I think Vermont's biggest challenger is going to be Bryant just getting to the America East Conference because they're really good. Jared Goss-Grassel does a great job being a well-coached basketball team. they got a couple of transfers coming in that are going to help them, including one kid from St. Peter yeah. that helped that team get to the Elite Eight last year before they lost did not get a chance to go to the Final Four. And believe me, Bryant's the kind of team that you will grow to love to hate. And I can't wait to that first battle in Vermont where those two get together because they're painted that you know what. They're really good, but they don't mind having an us-versus-the-world mentality. I can't wait to see how that's going to play out in year one with Brian and Vermont being in the same conference. Well, picked 1-2 in the preseason conference poll. UVM was picked number one, but Bryant uh, was just a few points behind. So it'll be a fun America East season for sure when we get started just after New Year's and Catamount Hoops against Brown uh, comes up on Monday night. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, Freddie and Fitzsimmons. Tonight we've got the World Series on. Freddie and Fitzsimmons is weeknights at 9 p.m. Freddie, appreciate you, and uh, I'll report to you uh, next week after my trip to Foxborough and how my ankle's doing. Yeah, I can't wait to hear that. And remember, I see hot, I see hot, I see hot to get you ready for next week. Yeah, I, I'm going to need something. Thank you very much, Freddie. I uh, my my ankle looks like a tennis ball right now. The again, I had three ibuprofens earlier today before I came to work, so those are still in effect right now. So I'm not in as much pain as I was when I woke up or as I was when I went to bed last night. But damn. An ankle, this is no fun. I got somebody who's offering to bring me a cryo cuff, and I looked up what a cryo cuff is during one of Freddie's answers. It is a, uh, some kind of air cast, or, oh wow. Okay, uh, someone wants to bring me a cryo cuff. If someone wants to bring me a cryo cuff, I'm not gonna turn it down. It sounds expensive though. I don't know that I'm worried. I don't know that I'm worthy of somebody's expensive piece of medical equipment. But if you, if you think I am and you want to help rehab my ankle, that would be much appreciated. Either that or, uh, you could just take my place at work tomorrow and do the show so I don't have to come in and walk up the stairs anymore. So, uh, either or. Expensive medical equipment or you get to play radio host for a day. Some of you could probably do it. This is Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Uh, Let's see. Um, 
<laughs> Ross says, do you think Waterbury True Value has what you need to fix the elevator? If anybody does, they probably do. That's for sure. Mary and Randolph says, ice and elevate, feel better. You'll be back running soon. Look, here's the thing I'm most worried about, to be perfectly honest with you. So, like, I want to play in the basketball game next Thursday. That That's important to me. I paid to play in the league. We're in the playoffs. I had a good season. I'd like to just see it to completion. But I got to go to Foxborough on Sunday for the Pats game. There's a lot of walking involved when you go to a pro game. We're taking the bu- or we're taking the the Foxborough commuter train or whatever, like it picks up right outside the hotel, and it goes to right to Gillette Stadium. But there's still a 10 to 12 minute walk from where the train drops off to getting, you know, to getting to your seat, and you're going to have to walk up a huge amount of stairs to get from level one to level two where our seats are. So, like, yeah, in my mind here, I'm focused on the fun of being ready for basketball. Practically, I need to be able to walk 15 minutes comfortably and get up the huge amount of stairs to get to our seats and then go back down the stairs to leave. Today, it's weird, right? Like, right now, I can't walk all that comfortably. I'm just kind of shuffling. Once I get going, I can kind of walk a bit. Like, I'm, I think I can take my dog out for a, a quick uh, a quick leak tonight, but I don't think I can take it for a 15-minute walk later. But... um it's it's I, I'm Sunday is the day I have to be good by. Like I have to be functional by Sunday. So if someone wants to bring me a cryo cuff, maybe I'll be good by Sunday. If somebody wants to bring me a cryo cuff and I'm good by Sunday, and I can play in the game on Thursday and we win, that person I will reveal their name and give them all the props. Maybe I'll even bring them on the show. Maybe I'll be on the show. Joe says you'll be much improved in three days. I'm certainly hoping so. Last time I sprained my ankle really bad, it took about it took about a week, week and a half for me to do things again because it was completely purple. That was worse than this time. This is bad, not as bad as that time. I want to recap some of what Freddie had to say. And Freddie and I are in agreement on Mac Jones. Some other prominent Patriots insider isn't, and I don't get it. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Thanks to Freddie Coleman for joining us. Freddie and I are in agreement on the Patriots and on Mac Jones. I watch Mac Jones play on Sunday, and I think the Patriots don't trust him, right? They... They sat on the ball at the end of the first half were content to just run it and kick a field goal. They did next to nothing in the second half outside of the first drive. Like, Freddie and I are in agreement. The Patriots' play calling proved that they're not a big fan of Mac Jones right now. There's somebody who disagrees with us, though, and that somebody is Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston. Tom Curran's very much in the know. We play his audio all the time. He's excellent with his Patriots coverage, but he thinks... Sunday was a good day for Mac Jones overall, huh? Yesterday's game told us that Mac Jones could settle down, knock a little bit of the rust off, and look better in the second half than he had in the first because I think people had very, very very sweaty palms heading into halftime. Penalty notwithstanding, it was enough to make you very concerned about the direction of the team. Second half, he quelled some of the nerves for everyone, I think, and that means moving forward we can continue to gather data on whether or not he's a guy. The team, however, is extremely mediocre and will remain such. So Tom Curran says that Mac Jones played better in the second half? Do you agree with that, 802-585-3026? Because I'm, I'm in the Freddie Coleman camp. 
I'm in the Sunday was not a pretty day for Mac Jones and didn't do anything to dissuade my my uneasiness. Tom Curran says second half was better. Do you feel that way? Because I don't. 802-585-3026. Look, the Patriots scored a touchdown in the second half, right? The first drive of the second half, Patriots scored a touchdown. That's great. But let's not act like that drive did a whole lot for Mac Jones to change my, to change our opinions of him or to change our opinion of how the game was going. That, that scoring drive was a six play drive that was aided by a 35 yard Ramondre Stevenson run on the very first play of the drive. So after the kickoff, one play gets the Patriots in scoring position. Let's not act like Mac carried them down the field. He threw a 13-yard pass, a 9-yard pass, and a 5-yard pass to Jacoby Myers for the touchdown. He didn't do a whole lot special. Like, it's a scripted series out of the half. You're supposed to do well on it. He gets the benefit of a big run, a couple of early down passes, which is when it's advantageous to throw. I'm glad they scored. But that was all they did in the second half. Tom Curran's like, oh, Mac played better in the second half. Mac, his second half, you know, basically... Got rid of your, your nerves. No, it didn't. He scored on a scripted drive, aided by a humongous run, and then after that scoring drive, you know where Mac Jones did? A drive that went 34 yards, a drive that went zero yards, a guard that, a drive that went one yard, a drive that went four yards, a drive that went six yards, and a drive that went 17 yards. Where exactly am I supposed to be feeling a whole lot better? Yes, they scored a touchdown in the, in the second half. That is great. And I am thrilled to death about it. But that said, if after that you go 34, 0, 1, 4, 6, and 17, where exactly is the special that's supposed to be making me feel a whole lot better? Because I'm not finding it. I am squarely with Freddie Coleman. The play calling was mediocre. The play calling was conservative. Mac didn't do anything. I thought Mac played better in the first half, frankly. Like, he did have the bad pick six that wasn't. But I thought Mac played better in the first half. He ran for a few. He converted a few third downs. He stepped up in the pocket. He played with some poise and confidence, which I was worried about him not doing going into that game. I thought the first half was far more impressive than the second, if you're asking me honestly. Delivered a nice pass to Hunter Henry. I... I, Tom Curran knows more Patriots football than I do. That That is a given, right? And I'm not going to pretend like I know more than he does. But this one, I think he's very much in the wrong on. Mac was, I thought, dreadful in the second half. The scoring drive, he didn't do much. Fourth and one, he completed a touchdown pass. That is true. Well-designed play, good receiver, made a simple catch. It was a quick leak out to the flat. That, 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 you and I could have completed that pass. You and I could have completed that pass. Curran also kept talking. This one is more, less inflammatory to me. So yesterday was the trade deadline, and the Patriots did nothing at the trade deadline, right? They didn't buy. They didn't sell. Why didn't they do anything? I don't know if it indicates a ton. To me, they don't know what they have in-house. They're trying to still figure out what this 2022 roster is all about and what it's going to look like in 2023. When you look at teams like Miami or teams like Buffalo, they have a pretty good idea who they are and where their holes are. I can't even identify where the holes on the Patriots are because they have yet to offensively grasp an identity. Uh, That I agree with. That I agree with. 
less inflammatory. I believe Tom Curran is right there. We are eight games into the season for the Patriots. They're four and four. And the Patriots don't really have an identity. And that is a problem. In the NFL, you need to have an identity. You need to be about something. And by eight games in, you should know what that something is. How many times have we said about the Patriots, they'll take September, the first four games, they'll figure things out, they'll kind of, okay, they'll try some things, and by October, they're going to be, they're going to know who they are. That doesn't seem to be the case this year. They're just kind of wallowing through the season. Are the Patriots a great team built on great defense? I don't think so. They have had great games defensively, right? Detroit was a great game defensively. Cleveland was a great game defensively. The Jets was a great game defensively. They got gouged by Chicago. They got gouged by Baltimore. They gave up big plays in the opener against Miami. So I don't think they are a great defensive team. I don't look at the Patriots and say defense is their total hallmark. I think it's very clear they're not a great offense. It's very clear that they are limited on that side of the ball. Eight weeks in, we don't know who they are. Buffalo, Philly, we know what makes those teams tick. Buffalo's going to play fast, and they are going to throw the ball all around the yard. Philly's a good rushing attack. Their quarterback can rush. They also take deep shots to A.J. Brown. We know what makes them tick. Seattle, we know what makes them tick. Tennessee, we know what makes them tick. Makes them tick. Cleveland, we know what makes them tick. The Patriots, we don't have a full idea yet. And, and this is what's frustrating to me. I like when my team has something that I can bank on. It's very, very cool, right, to sit here and say, oh, the Patriots' identity is that they have no identity. It's very cool to say, well, they changed their game plan up based on the opponent. That's great. And it has worked for them a lot in the past. But I like to know that some of, that something about my team is a given. And right now, nothing about the Patriots is a given. And that is worrisome. And that is bothering me. And that is problematic. Right? Somewhere along the way, the Patriots made, made some mistakes here. Last year, the Patriots had an identity. Did they not? It was very clear. Big offensive line, draft from Andre Stevenson, pair him with Damian Harris, smash mouth, run the football, our quarterback doesn't do a lot. That was last year's identity. And the Patriots chose not to run that identity back. Maybe that was the mistake. They traded Shaq Mason. Thought that was a problem then, think it's a problem now. And even though they drafted Cole Strange, he's not Shaq Mason. He's not a five, six, seven-year veteran. So you had an identity last year. You, you, you made moves that suggested you weren't going to run it back this year. You traded Mason. You drafted a speedy, thin-wide receiver who doesn't fit that. You then decided you were going to change up your offense entirely. Okay. So maybe the mistake was getting rid of last year's identity, and maybe the mistake was bailing on your new identity so quickly. That's another thing I think you can look at and wonder if they did that. Mac Jones started four games, right? He started what? Opener against Miami, Pittsburgh. Week three was Baltimore. Is that right? There's got to be one other game in there, right? 
got to be one other game in there. I have to, I have to think about it here in a second. But I think Mac Jones had started four games. No, he had started. Uh, I take it back. He had started three games. He had started three games, and you were one and two, and Mac was turning the ball over a lot, and then Mac got hurt. And then you decided to go conservative with Zappy, and now you want to stay conservative with Mac again. So you made all these moves to fit a new offense, right? To bring in Devontae Parker, draft Tyquan Thornton, get a smaller, more athletic lineman in Cole Strange. You made moves to fit your new identity, and you bailed on it after three Mac Jones starts. Somewhere here you have made a mistake. You either should have kept last year's identity and rolled it back this year, and made moves that fit that. Or you go with the moves you made and you stick with what you did. I'm looking all around the league, and there are teams that struggled with what they wanted to do early. They stuck with it, and now they are good. I'll go right to my Seahawks. Are the Seahawks going to win the division? Probably not, but they're a hell of a lot better than we thought they were going to be. Right? The Seahawks started out 1-2. and two. And what and what did they stay with on offense? Pete Carroll's tenants. I want to run the football. And I want to take deep shots down the field. And even though they were one and two, they decided to keep doing that. And now Geno Smith is a borderline MVP candidate. He's definitely the comeback player of the year as it sits. Kenneth Walker is carrying some of your fantasy teams and, and they are gelling offensively. Tennessee started 0 and two, has won five consecutive games and Derrick Henry is back to being Derrick Henry. They, they stayed with it and the Patriots bailed and the Patriots bailed. Somewhere a mistake has been made that we're eight weeks into the season and we don't have an identity for this team yet. Last year's team had an identity. And I believe that last year's team was limited. I believe that being a run-first team like they are, like Cleveland is, like Seattle is, like Tennessee is, I believe there is a ceiling to that. And we saw that ceiling in the playoffs when the Patriots got killed. But at least they had an identity, and the identity worked for them. Either run that back or stick with your new decision, and you didn't do either. And you didn't do either. I have heard it for years. Texter, we will figure it out by Thanksgiving. Imagine a surgeon or an airline pilot saying, I will figure it out in 10 weeks. I That has always bothered me also. Really, that Patriots attitude of, oh, we'll figure it out by Thanksgiving. Because here is what I believe. In the NFL... In professional sports, you can build a team of what you want, right? In high school, you just get given players, right? You have to adapt to what you have. So one year, you might see a high school football team that's ground and pound. And the next year, you've got a great stud quarterback and a great wideout in that class. And now we're airing it all over the yard. In high school, you have to adapt to what you've been given. In the pros, you do not have to do that. You can have a belief system, you can have a core value system, and you can draft players that fit that. And the Patriots right now, I I don't know what... The Patriots now feel like they are just collecting talent. Yeah, we'll collect talent, we'll figure it out. Some of these other teams, I think, are drafting, developing, and signing based on what their philosophy is. I look at the Seahawks. And the Seahawks got away from their philosophy for a long time. Right? Why have the Seahawks not been as good in the last six, seven years? Well, they paid Russ, the defense went to hell, and they stopped running the football. So the the Seahawks got away from their identity. What did they do this year? They let Russ go. 
and they got back to Seahawks football. They drafted two tackles in this draft, one in the first, one in the third round, I think. They drafted Kenneth Walker at running back. They brought back uh, Rashad Penny. And they've got their quarterback playing, you know, mistake-free football, but also taking deep shots. And their receivers fit that, too, with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Like, they are building their team in the image that they want, that they believe wins, and the Patriots don't seem to have that. They just seem to be collecting talent. And when you have just a collection of talent, it's tough trying to figure out how it's all going to work together. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, I want to transition over to... UVM basketball, because the Catamounts, about 40 minutes from now, are going to take the floor over at Patrick Gym, and they're going to play their final exhibition game of the year against Middlebury College. They're going to, UVM will open up the season on Monday. It's hard to believe. I ask you, 802-585-3026, how excited you are for Catamount basketball, because I love talking Catamount hoops, and it's interesting. When I post anything about Catamount hoops on social media, it is by far the most shared, talked about, and reposted thing that I do. So the people are out there. They love Catamount Hoops. I'm curious how much you like to talk, because if you don't, I won't do it as much, frankly, and how excited you are for the season. I think I'm going to go to the game on Monday after the show. Okay, show ends at 7. I'll get there for the second half, and I think I'm going to go to the game on Monday. It's one of only three home games in the first semester for the Cats, so I'd like to see them play because you don't have many chances before New Year's. So UVM and Brown on Monday, UVM and Middlebury tonight. And I think a lot of people are going to roll their eyes at this game because it's against Middlebury, their D3 opponent. I want you to understand something. Middlebury is a great, great program. And I actually expect that Middlebury is going to play well in this scrimmage. I think Middlebury very possibly is better than St. Mike's, who gave UVM a game. Middlebury went 18-6 and last year. They're in the best Division Three league in the country. They have a lot of players that could play D1 in that league. Head coach Jeff Brown, is he's been to a Final Four. He's been to three Elite Eights in Division Three. It's a really good Middlebury program. So I think, I think this is going to be an interesting game, especially at the start. Especially at the start. There are a few things that I want to see in this matchup that I want to learn from this matchup. Can we get a little basketball music, people? Can we get a little basketball music? Um, well, if we typed in the right thing, we could. Uh, okay, let's see if we, okay. We got, when we talk basketball, we gotta have this. Okay. There's a few things I want to see in this matchup. One, Aaron Deloney. He's the guy that we've been talking about for two days now. This is the guy I want to watch tonight. When I watch this game, when I go back and look at highlights of this game, Deloney is the player I'm going to focus on. I want to see how he focuses, how he follows his 26-point performance from Saturday night. Aaron Deloney has a huge opportunity to make major gains and major waves for this team. He has waited his turn. He's bided his time. He sat behind Ben Shungu. He was sixth man of the year last year. Yesterday, Tom Brennan told us he's going to be a star. So he's got the pedigree. He's been here in Burlington. He's waited his turn, and now he's got the hype. All that's left is to see Aaron Deloney back it up. Okay, We've got to see Aaron Deloney back it up. Because I mentioned it the last couple of days. 
I've mentioned it the last couple of days. Players who have the ability to just go off offensively, like Deloney does, they tend to be inconsistent. Okay, They tend to be inconsistent. The great players, the best players in this league, UVM's got six consecutive America East Players of the Year. The, those players, they had the ability to be steady. I want to see Aaron Deloney become that guy. I love the star quality that he has that Coach Brennan speaks of. I love the confidence that Aaron Deloney plays with. He knows he's good. He knows he's capable of what we saw Saturday night. I want to know if he's capable of just being a constant in that Catamount rotation. He scored 26 the other day. That's special. Not everybody can go off for 26. 26 is a lot of points in a 40-minute game. It's a lot of points. Aaron Deloney can go off for 26. He can also, players like that, can also go for six, can go for four. Because if the outside shot is not falling, how do you respond? If you're not getting into the free throw line, where are your points coming from? It's hard to score that many points. In fact, I would love to see Deloney. I don't need 26 tonight. I don't need 26 for the season. If he could get 15 a night, I'd be thrilled. Rather than 26 one night and one the next, I'd like to see 15 every night. That's what I want to see from Deloney. I want to know if he can be the constant. That's the thing I'm going to be watching tonight is how does Deloney play? How does he follow up the performance from Saturday night? Like, I'm going to look at Deloney's points last year. And I understand the situation is different, right? Shungu was here. Davis was here. He didn't need to score as much. I totally get that and understand it. But Deloney had games last year where he went off. Like, right, he had 18 against Colgate. The next game, he had five. Then he had 11 and 10. Then he had six, eight, five, nine, five. Then he had 24. Then it was nine, seven, four. Then it was 13. Then it was three. Then it was 20. Then it was nine. I, I just, I want to stop riding the wave. He's a very good player. He has the star quality. He's going to be huge to what they do. But i got to see the consistency. That's the only thing that's missing right now for me with him. And it's not even just him. It's players like him. They can fill it up on a, at, a, at a moment's notice, and they can also go cold or not get their shots in any specific game. Ben Shungu was going to get you 14 to 18 a night. Ryan Davis was going to get you 14 to 18 a night. Can Aaron Deloney be that guy for this team? 802-585-3026. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury. Text line. Texter says, Brady, you should go to the game on Monday. Be prepared to walk up the seats. Uh, as long as uh, my ankle is healed, I don't care about walking up the seats. And as far as maybe I can sit on press row and sit right at the right at the front. Who knows? Well, I'll, I'll talk to some people there. Texter says, I'm headed to Patrick Jim now. Listen on the way up from Barry. The team needs to gel quickly for the tough early schedule. Should be a fun year. Yes, more Cats talk. I'm going to talk about the Cats a lot. I just want to know that you all appreciate it. we got a couple of yays in uh, on that front. Another thing I'm going to be watching today is Sam Alamutu. This is a player that you haven't heard much about that I just can't quit being excited about. Last year... Sam Alamutu was a freshman, and he redshirted. We barely saw him. He had a lot of hype on the recruiting trail. We barely saw him. He's super athletic. 
when he was being recruited, I was told he was an NBA-caliber player. That's right. I think what Vermont has here is a potential NBA prospect. I think he's the highest-level prospect that that they'll see that they've, that they've got. That was Elias Sabayev last year with us on uh, – that was actually in 2020, December of 2020. Elias Sabaya on this show, he's a Canadian recruiting expert where Alamutu's from, saying that he's an NBA-type player. That, like, we didn't see that last year. I want to watch him tonight. Last week, John Becker, the head coach, told me that Alamutu is using that athleticism as a defender and a rebounder, and he's starting to carve out a role. Well, he played just eight minutes in the opener and didn't attempt a shot. So I don't know. But I'm going to be watching tonight. Certainly athletic, the ability to defend. He can guard bigger players, which is something this team will need, especially in the non-conference. I want to see him have a role, and I want to see him play more today. If he Look, I'm okay if he doesn't score for this team. I am. Now, when I hear NBA prospect, I'm thinking, okay, oh, I'd love to see him get 20. But this year, as a redshirt freshman... I'm okay if he doesn't score. I was, I'm was i old enough to remember when Dre Wills was on this team a couple of years ago, was the defensive player of the year, and he didn't score more than probably six points a game, but he was on the court always. I'd be more than fine if Sam Alamutu does that this year. But you got to be on the court to be that guy. He played just eight minutes against St. Mike's. What does he do today? Number three, the thing that I'm going to watch for today, T.J. Hurley. This is the freshman that everyone's talking about. UVM is such a good program. They're such a veteran-laden team. It is hard, okay? It is hard for freshmen to really crack the rotation. This is the guy that has a chance to do it. Benny Shungu had to redshirt. Alamutu had to redshirt. Ryan Davis didn't really make an impact. It hasn't been since Anthony Lamb a bunch of years ago now that a freshman has really cracked the rotation and really strongly contributed. T.J. Hurley is the guy who has a chance to do that. He's a knockdown shooter. Some publications are out there mentioning him as a freshman to watch nationally. He played 17 minutes the other day, so he certainly got some opportunity. He carried this team in the in one of the exhibition games over the summer in Montreal. He is the guy that you should be watching for. And when you watch today and when you watch Monday, that's absolutely a guy that, that uh, you should be paying attention to. Like, if T.J. Hurley can score 7-8 a game, that's a huge win for this team because you don't get that from freshmen very often. 7-8 points a game from T.J. Hurley. I think he's capable of it, and I think he's going to play enough to get the opportunity to do it. He's a guy I'll be watching for today. And speaking of scoring, I was thinking about this earlier today. I was thinking about what I want the scoring breakdown to be for this Catamounts team. Last year, UVM averaged 75 points a game. I think that's perfectly fair for me to want that again. So I'm going to go off that. 75 points per game. Here's how I want it to break down. I want Dylan Penn to be the leading scorer. I want him to get 16 points a game. Okay? I don't need 23. 16 points a game from Dylan Penn, I think, is more than fair for me to ask for and expect. Aaron Deloney. 14 points a game. I just told you 15, but when I do the math, I'll say 14 points a game. Again, I don't want it to be 28 one day and 0 the next. I want him to be 11 one game and 17 the next. I want him to be 12 and 16. 14 a game for Deloney. Finn Sullivan, my point guard, 13 a game. He had 17 in the exhibition opener. He's got to be a guy who can score. 
He's a guy who can shoot. He's a guy who can get to the basket. He's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. He's got 13 a game. So Penn 16, Deloney 14, Ben Sullivan 13. That's 43 points from those three players per night. That's what I expect. I'd like to see eight from Nick Fiorillo, my big guy, and seven from T.J. Hurley, the freshman who I just mentioned. That's another 15 points. So I just got 58 points per game from those five players. Penn was 16, Deloney 14, Sullivan 13, Fiorillo 8, T.J. Hurley 7. 58 points from those five. Can I find 17 points from the rest of the roster? That's what I'm looking for. That's the question that I'm asking. And I think I can. 75 points, I believe, per game is very doable for this team. Robin Duncan, Matt Verretto, Sam Alamutu, Cam Gibson, Perry Smith. Can I get 17 points from the rest of the roster? I believe that that is a fair ask. I'm asking for three players to get in double figures. Last year, UVM had just two, right? They had Davis and they had Shungu, and those were their guys. I'm looking for three and double figures this year, some contributions from Fiorillo and Hurley, and 17 points from the rest of the roster, the rest of the roster. Uh, Brady, awesome show. Yes to more UVM basketball talk. Maybe a few minutes on the ski team and hockey winning season. Look, we're, that's that's fair. I love Todd Woodcroft, and the reason why I didn't bring Todd Woodcroft on recently is because the team started out 0-4. Todd Woodcroft is one of the people who has been best to me since getting to WDEV. I think he is great for the UVM men's hockey program, and I do believe he is the guy, although it's a slow grind, I believe he is the guy to help bring the program back to prominence. They won a game last week, uh, two weekends ago. They split with Colgate over the weekend, so they're 2-0-1 in their last three games. It just might be time to get Todd Woodcroft on again. Now that they are winning again, you know, I, I didn't want to bother them when they're losing. I didn't want to highlight the flaws of this team. I want to give them a chance to turn it around. UVM women, I think we've done a good job so far at highlighting them too. We had uh, Christina Shanahan on, one of their former players, last week or two weeks ago, getting ready for the exhibition game as she's now playing for the Montreal Force. And uh, Jim Plumer, I'm sure, will be on soon because the UVM hockey team on the women's side is an absolute wagon this year. So uh, appreciate everybody's feedback. And we will get some Norwich uh, stuff as well. I know some people have asked for that. Craig Durham, the broadcaster, George Como, some of the players. We will we will get a Norwich present. We're, we do talk, by the way, to Cam Ellsworth, the cadet men's hockey coach, every Thursday in the midday news service at 12.15. So if you ever miss Cam, you can always find that interview. I always post that, even though it's from the Midday News Service, on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. Texter says, with your ankle, Brady, when you go to the UVM game, maybe you can go to the handicapped uh, parking. I don't need that, but I will do my best uh, to sit on press row. That's what I'm going to look. I will, I'm excited by that opener because not only is it UVM basketball, not only is it a limited home game, TJ Sorrentine's coming back. And we love, we love TJ Sorrentine here in Catamount Country. He's the associate head coach at Brown. So it'll be good to have him back in the building. It's been a couple of years since he's been there. The show is brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. It's Pro Driver Training. Vermont's premier truck driver training school online at prodrivercdl.com. You can get your class A, your class B CDL, passenger and advanced skills training. As well. Ime Odoka is going to get hired by the Brooklyn Nets. 
And sadly, this is just the latest example of something I have said for years. I'll tell you what that is next on the Brady Farkas Show and DEV. Your chance to be part of the show is on the text line at 802-585-3026. This is Freddie Coleman of ESPN, and you're listening to Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV and WDEVradio.com. Thank you very much, Freddie. Freddie Coleman was with us about an hour ago here on the Brady Farkas Show. The full interview is already up on our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. Ime Odoka is not officially yet the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. I believe that he is going to be. Sham Sharani has said it, and everybody else is saying it. So I believe it's going to happen. The Ime Odoka situation, unfortunately, is just the latest example of something I have said for years. How good you are at something dictates how big of a distraction you can be. How good you are at something dictates how big of a problem you can be. I have said this for years, and this will remain the case, and this will remain true until the very end of time. If you are great at something, if you are even very good at something, you can get away with things that other people can't. You will get chances that other people can't. You will get second chances that other people can't. This is something that will never change. It will never change in sports, and it will never change in life. We don't have to like it. We don't have to agree with it. We, Most of us will never benefit from it, but it is just the way it is. Think about it like any relationship. You know this to be true. If you have a very attractive boyfriend or a very attractive girlfriend, they can get away with certain things with you, can't they? My old co-host used to call it the hot to crazy scale, right? The hotter you are, the more crazy you can be. That is the way life works. That is the way sports works. Again, this is just another example of it. The Brooklyn Nets are going to give Ime Udoka another chance. The Brooklyn Nets are going to enable Ime Udoka because he's a good basketball coach, just like they are enabling Kyrie Irving because he's a good basketball player. This is how it is. Okay, Kyrie Irving's under fire for posting a link to an anti-Semitic movie. Do you remember the name Myers Leonard? Now Myers Leonard, Myers Leonard, excuse me, was a very average big man in the NBA. He actually used an anti-Semitic word on a video game live stream. He was fined. He was suspended by the league. He was released, and you've never heard from him again. He wasn't good enough to be that big a problem. They, the league and the teams made an example of him because he wasn't good enough. Kyrie Irving doesn't get that same example made. Why? Because he is good enough. And that is the way life works. And it's how life is working here for Ime Udoka. Kyrie gets chances. Ime gets chances. Why did Antonio Brown get 100 chances? Why did Josh Gordon get 100 chances? Dante Stallworth killed someone. In a drunk driving incident, I believe, and got chances. Why? Because all these teams thought that they, that these players could help, so they bring them in. When a guy doesn't have talent, he doesn't get another chance. Ime Odoka has a coaching challenge, uh, coaching talent, and he gets another chance because of how good he is perceived to be. And the whole thing sickens me, to be perfectly honest with you. I am not saying that Ime Udoka doesn't deserve ever a second chance. But to deserve a second chance this quickly, it is wrong, and it is just it just reeks of desperation 
from the Brooklyn Nets, as Freddie Coleman told us. Desperate teams do desperate things, and the Brooklyn Nets are desperate. So therefore, they are pulling out all the stops, and they don't care how much they have to sell their soul to be able to do it. It is one thing to hire a rehabbed Ime Udoka. If Ime Udoka took the year off, or took two years off, and fixed his personal life, and we saw him speaking at women's conferences, and we saw him speaking to men about how to treat women, and I believe that he had learned something, and he worked with sexual harassment advocates, and then you want to rehire him? That would be one thing. Ime Odoka, this has been less than two months since he was suspended by the Celtics. I, what could he have learned? What could he have bettered in two months? Probably nothing. Instead, he's just being enabled. We don't have to like it. We don't have to support it. But it is the way the world works. And it's unfortunate. And it will always work this way. And there's nothing that you or I can do about it. Okay? I I do not know as much about pop culture as maybe I should. But i got to imagine that Kanye West was problematic for a long time. He could get away with a lot because he was Kanye. He finally found something now that he can't outrun. Antonio Brown last year finally found a situation he couldn't outrun. So there is a limit to the hot to crazy scale. How good you are dictates how big a distraction or problem you can be. At some point, you're no longer worth your trouble. Ime Odoka apparently is not at that point right now. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. You are spot on. I'm going through it now. It is awful. I assume that this texture is referring to the movie that Kyrie was posting about. Rather not, Kyrie posted a link to a movie. He did did not put any words out about it. He didn't say anything about it. He just said on social media, he just posted the link to the movie. And then he didn't apologize for it. In the press conference, he said there's a lot of people behind him who feel just like him. So he's getting grief for that. But that is the, that is the way life works. Nick Wright did a great job today. I was watching a little bit of him. The last six years, Kyrie Irving has torpedoed whatever franchise he's been in. Six consecutive years. He goes to Cleveland, and or he's with Cleveland, rather, his last year. And he asked for a trade, despite the Cavs being Eastern Conference, uh, Eastern Conference favorites. Okay. Goes to Boston. And he was fairly good his first year. Then he got hurt in the playoffs. And they got to the Eastern Conference Finals without him. So that is more of a injury. That's not so much a Kyrie torpedoing. But then... He torpedoed the Celtics the last year. He's calling out the young players. He's not getting along with Terry Rozier and all this and all that. So that's a problem. Then he wants out of Boston, despite saying he wanted to stay. Then he goes to Brooklyn, and he was hurt, and Durant was hurt. And he skips the bubble entirely. He won't come back for the bubble. Then last year is last. I mean, like this is this is just... Kyrie, it's just too much. But he keeps getting chances. And Ime Odoka is getting chances as well. Um, 
All right, I'm going to take a very quick break. I'm going to come back, tell you about some of my conversation with Tom Karen of Nesson today. We'll get you ready for the World Series, which is coming up about 15 minutes from now. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Make your opinion heard by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802-585-3026. This is Field Yates of ESPN, and you're listening to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV Radio and the WDEV app. Brady Farkas show back at it here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. World Series coverage for us begins in 10 minutes. Game four of the World Series being played tonight between the Phillies and the Astros. That game from Citizens Bank Park in Philadelphia, where yesterday the Phillies won it, winning 7 nothing. They're two wins away from their first World Series title since 2008. I'm going to talk about one thing with the Red Sox real quick, but i, I got to get this off my chest. If I were Lance McCullers, I would sue the Houston Astros for malpractice. And you know what? I'm really not even joking. And I don't mean that they left him in yesterday to get rocked. That That's their prerogative. Yes, they should have taken him out earlier. No, they didn't. I could care less. That is their prerogative, baseball-wise. I hate the way that Lance McCullers pitches. Absolutely hate it. Buster only had the stat yesterday. Now, this was yesterday, I think, right after McCullers came out. Or maybe it was right before McCullers came out. But nonetheless, this was the stat from Buster. Let me find this again. Okay. Lance McCullers has thrown 109 pitches to left-handed batters this postseason and has thrown two fastballs. Two fastballs he's throwing sliders he's throwing curveballs he's throwing change-ups Lance McCullers throws 95 miles an hour and the Astros will not let him throw his fastball and you know what I normally wouldn't care like how you want to pitch is how you want to pitch but Lance McCullers has had massive arm problems and in my mind what the Astros are doing to him is abuse now maybe he's okay with it. And if he is, then I'll drop this. But Lance McCullers missed the entirety of the 2019 season with an arm problem. Missed most of this year with an arm problem. And he still is out there only throwing breaking balls and only throwing change-ups, things that put an immense amount of stress on your arm. Like, whatever junk ball pitcher you think of, they throw more fastballs than Lance McCullers does. Jamie Moyer threw more fastballs. Rich Hill throws more fastballs. Lance McCullers throws 95 miles an hour, and they will not let him throw fastballs. Two left-handed batters. I, I just, I, I hate watching McCullers pitch. It's out of frustration, really, that I hate watching him pitch because all he does is flip breaking balls, and they are hard to hit. He is good. But now, like, I'm wondering how much of the way he pitches is attributed to how, or rather, how much of his injuries are attributed just to the way he pitches. And I'm sick for him that his organization doesn't seem to value his arm. I mean, 109 pitches to left-handed batters and two fastballs? Like, I'm going to ask Buster about that tomorrow. May, I'm kind of saying it tongue-in-cheek about suing the Astros for medical malpractice. I'm not being that far off. This, to me, is gross. And again, if he signs off on it and he approves of it, then then I will be mad at him for helping create his own downfall. 
but he has missed all of 2019 with Tommy John. He missed most of 2022 with arm problems. They, these two things have to be correlated. They have to be correlated. And I hate seeing a guy abused by his organization, and that is exactly what it feels like is happening. Exactly what it feels like is happening. I've got a bunch of stuff with Tom Karen that I spoke about today um, with him. I said I'm going to get to the Red Sox. I'm going to have to do that tomorrow because I also talked with TC about the Bruins. And I, I promised people I'd give some Bruins love. Bruins won it yesterday, a great 5-2 comeback to win it 6-5 in overtime. Hampus Lindholm with the game winner there. Cur- uh, sorry, uh, Curran. Tom Karen rather, was talking with me earlier about how good the Bees are and their hot start with their 9-1. It's really remarkable. I mean, the best start in franchise history. They've been playing since 1925. And they're averaging over four goals a game, uh, by far the most in the National Hockey League right now. They give up some goals like we saw last night. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, their offense right now is kind of what we're talking about with baseball and power. They've got that quick strike capability. Yeah, the Bruins, I mean, six goals, like that's pretty good. Now, again, they gave up five, and the goaltending yesterday wasn't great, and uh, Olmark was bad, and he was pulled, and then Swayman was in, and he got hurt, and then Olmark came back and was good at the end. But, you know, so the, the defense, when they would get McAvoy back, they're going to be better defensively overall. But uh, they are able to score. And for a team that, again, we just thought was going to have to tread water for a while, like that is, you know, they're 9-1. and one. They have the best record in the NHL. That's not just treading water. Uh, Texter says Tim Wakefield threw more fastballs than McCullers. Dane in Rochester says, I just tuned in. Sorry, what was the tip that McCullers was giving last night? Was it his leg kick or the shake he was doing with his plant leg? I, I don't know officially. We can talk with Buster about that, too. Buster said that there was no tip. It was just the Phillies had a great game plan because they know that he's not going to throw fastballs, especially the lefties, and I think that's very true. You look at the homers yesterday. Harper had one. Marsh had one. Schwarber had one. They're all lefties there. So I think they're, you know, I think – Game plan is certainly part of it. If there was a tip, I, usually these things are attributable to hand positioning, right? You hold your hands a little closer to the body on this pitch, so down a little further here, up a little further there. I've got the mute button on here on ESPN. They were just talking about it. It looked like maybe it was hand positioning, but don't don't quote me on that. I wasn't paying. At, I got home late last night from the basketball game, hurt my ankle, had to do a lot of stuff to get ready, so I didn't catch the game until it was out of hand, really. So I, I wasn't watching super intently at the beginning because I was not home at the, at the beginning, and the game was such a blowout, it wasn't really worth going back and watching over again. Usually the, the tips and tells are from hand positioning. World Series Game 4 is coming up next here on the stations of Radio Vermont. Astros looking to hold serve. Well, looking to even serve, rather, I should say. Phillies looking to hold serve and take another two-game lead in this series. It's going to be Aaron Nola against Christian Javier. Javier strikes out a lot of batters. We'll see what happens today. Buster only tomorrow on the Ready Farkas Show. We're back at it. Go download the podcast, everybody.